Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. <clears throat> At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there should be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the end of the time. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on this river bank and the other on that river bank. And one said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, how long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Then I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, <clears throat> when he held up his hand, right hand and his left hand to heaven, and swore by him who lives forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. Although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, My Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. But you, go your way till the end. For you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. May God be pleased to bless his words to us as we come to consider it later on. I'm sure some of you will be very pleased that we've come to the end of you know, Daniel. It's been a long road, nevertheless. Um, we thank God for it. It's been a long road. As we've looked at you know, Daniel. I trust that somehow you've got something, you know, out of it. And uh, if you've got something out of it, then I'll feel that um, all my efforts have not been in vain. We followed Daniel right from the age of 14, and now he's an 86-year-old man, and is still very faithful to God. And that's, you know, that's saying something. We um, noticed his commitment to God, even as a very young lad. When he made up his mind that he will not get involved in anything to do with idols. He will not bow down to an idol. When Nebuchadnezzar um, set up his golden image and uh, commanded everyone to fall down, he will not do it. He will rather die for his faith. He will rather die you know, than um, you know, worship an idol. We see his faithfulness in you know, that um, when God gave me a message, you know, for kings and so on, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar and so on. He gave them the right message. He didn't shirk at all. He didn't try to hide it. He wasn't, you know, terrified of the fact that these are, you know, kings who could take his head off any time. He wasn't concerned about that. His concern had always been to glorify God in his life. And that is saying something. We learn from um, Daniel about you know his you know, about work ethic, 
That was a man, a man that you know did his work well. They tried to find fault with his work, his enemies, and they couldn't find fault with his work. I hope people will be able to say that about you and I, that they couldn't find fault you know, with our work. He did his work well. And then we've learned about his um, religious life. He had a disciplined you know, prayer life. Three times every day, he will open his window towards Jerusalem and he will pray to God. Even when his enemies, you know, tried, you know, to stop that, when they concocted, you know, kind of a plan, you know, to, um, you know, to get rid of, to get rid of Daniel, he knew about it. He knew about it. He knew that they signed the edict and so on. And as far as he was concerned, he wasn't bothered about it. Sign your edict. Do whatever you like. This man, you know, will pray to his God and not to any human being. Three times a day, he opens his windows and he prays to God, you know, who is um, in heaven. Daniel's great concern we see as well, and this is very important. Daniel had a great, great concern, you know, for, um, for his people. He had a great concern, you know, for the church in, the, you know, in his day, for the people of God, for Jerusalem, and for the temple. A real heart concern, and that drove him to prayer, you know, for um, his people. And I trust that somehow we have learned something from all that as we've been through the book of Daniel. And now we come to, to the end. We told that an angel had been speaking to David and to Daniel. From you know, in chapter eleven, you know, the angel you know began to um, reveal certain things you know to Daniel, giving him a very lengthy, a very detailed vision, revealing the future to, to Daniel. And you find the whole thing in, in chapter eleven, and that revelation ended in chapter twelve and verse four, which we looked at last time. And David was then told to shut the book up, to seal the book up. <clears throat> and now Daniel's attention was fixed on angels speaking to him as he listened to what the angel was saying to him. But now, you know, Daniel had, you know, had been attracted by another vision. Suddenly, two men appeared out of nowhere and on each one on each side of the river Tigris, where you know he was standing. Now, who were these men? They were angels. It seemed they had been listening to what the angels speaking to Daniel had been saying to him. And the angels, you know, speaking to Daniel had repeatedly, you know, spoken of an end, you know, of things, and had declared that a series of events will end you know, the world, but has said nothing at all in a, a, about the event by which these things could be determined. The two new angels appeared to find out about the end of the events which the angel has been telling Daniel. That is, what was, you know, that was what was troubling um, Daniel. He wanted to know, you know when the end of these events will be. And the angels that appeared also were interested in that. That's all we told in verse 6. That one of those angels then asked the angel that has been speaking to Daniel a question. How long shall the fulfillment of these things be? No, how long till the end of these wonders? And to answer the question, the angel lifted up his right hand and his left hand, and raised them, you know, to heaven. Very strange thing, you know, to do. But that's what the angel did. Raise both hands to heaven. Now, it's an act of swearing. And, you know, an act of swearing or taking an oath was often accompanied by the raising of the right hand in the Old Testament. That is where, you know, the practice, you know, comes from when you go to court and supposed to swear. You raise your right hand, you know, and your Bible in your left hand. That's where the you know, practice you know, came from. And this angel, we're told, raised both hands you know, to heaven. Yeah, and that is to show the seriousness and the sincerity of what he was about to say. And he swore by him who lived forever and ever, that is the eternal God. 
he appealed to God. He was about to make an earnest and solemn declaration in God's presence. And he called God you know, to witness to the truth of what he was about to say. And all this implies that the answer he was about to give you know, had great consequences regarding the future. Verse 7. With both hands raised, he then answered the angel's question regarding the length of time before the end of these wonders. He said it would be for a time, times, and half a time. This is exactly the same information that the angel gave in chapter 7 and verse 25 in Aramaic regarding the coming of the Antichrist. Now this time, times, and half a time is a period of time. And within that period, the, the church will go through severe persecution. The angel describes that persecution in three ways. First, he says that the power of the holy people will be completely shattered. That's in verse 7. That the power of the holy people will be completely shattered. What does that mean? It means that you know, the elect of God, those who are renewed in holiness, that will practically be destroyed by the Antichrist, who will unleash such persecution you know, against the church. After this, the Antichrist himself will be destroyed. We told that in them. Um, Chapter 11 and verse 45. When the Antichrist has been destroyed, the end of these um, wondrous things will occur. The angel tells the angel you know, who asked the question. Now, in verse 8, we told that Daniel heard the answer which the angel had given, but did not understand the meaning. Poor Daniel, he was still puzzled and perplexed you know, by what the angel had said. He did not understand the term a time, times, and half a time. Then he bluntly asked a question. It was very forthcoming, very straightforward. What shall be the end of these things, he says to the angel. These things, you know, are revelations of chapter 11, as I've said. Daniel was anxious to know how the end of these revelations will turn out. What will be its end? What will be the closing stages of this event? Daniel wanted to know. And the angel, you know, who asked the question, wanted to know as well. Now, the angel who had been talking to Daniel had often, you know, um, you know um, referred, you know, to the end whenever he spoke. And now he had used a very puzzling expression. A time, times, and half a time when referring to the end. And Daniel asked with emphasis, when was that time to be? Now, instead of explaining things to Daniel, you know, he told Daniel to go away, to ask no more questions, to leave the matter alone. At the end of the angel's revelation to Daniel in chapter 12 and verse 4, he told Daniel to seal up you know, the word to seal up the word and to seal up you know, the book. To shut it all up. That the revelation were closed. It was not necessary that Daniel himself should understand the answer to his question. For it does not have immediate relevance and application to him. This is why the words were shut up and sealed up until the end of the time. Although all that the angel had wanted to say had been said, and the revelation was now closed, we find the angel, maybe he felt sorry for Daniel, I don't know. We find the angel in later verses, you know, throwing some lights, you know, throwing out some suggestions on, you know, on some of the important events which were to mark the end of the wonders that he referred to. However, these suggestions were mere hints. They were mere hints. They did not shed any additional light on Daniel. Nor did the hints relieve Daniel of his anxiety and perplexity. 
You know, so what are those hints which the angel you know, gave? And here is the second time that the angel will talk about the persecution of the church. In verse 10, you know, we, you know, we, you know, he tells us that within that time, times and half a time, many shall be purified. This verse presents a general description of the future. But before the end, many shall be purified. And also those who are purified will be made white. Now, it doesn't mean that you know, their skins will go white or anything like that. It's talking you know, about you know, their purity. White is the emblem of purity. And so the term is often applied to the righteous and to the righteous alone. The people of God. They are made white. And so we are told that many on earth will be made holy before the end will come. Daniel was assured that multitudes of the human race will be redeemed and will be prepared for a holy heaven. And then, and here comes the persecution. Those people who are purified, those people who are made white, will also be refined. The word refined, you know, tells it all. They will, be, they will be tried as in a furnace. You know, when gold is to be refined, they will heat that gold, to, you know, they will subject it to tremendous you know, pressure and temperature. And all the um, impurities will rise to the surface. And while that is ladled off, you end up with the pure gold. And that's exactly... You know, the language that um, the angel is using here. This is a prediction that persecution, trials, and afflictions will come. And when they come, many will be purified. They will be made white. They will be refined. The church of Christ will undergo, you know, a pruning process. And, you know, pruning is not easy. It's always painful. They will be refined means that they will be subjected to severe persecutions and to various other forms of suffering which will test the strength of their faith. There's nothing new in the statement. The angel is only actually elaborating on what what he had already said about the fact that the holy people will be shattered. That's exactly what he's saying here in a different way. Now, in preparing you know, the people of God for heaven, they will have to be subjected to various forms of trials. And history bears out this fact. From the time of the prophets and the apostles to this day, the Lord's people have been subjected to severe persecutions. The apostle Peter, you know, writes, you know, something about this in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 9. And um, this is what um, it says, talking about um, the devil wanting to trip people's uh, gospel up. Peter says, resist him, steadfast in your faith, knowing that the same suffering are experienced by your brotherhood throughout the whole world. So all Christians, the whole church of Jesus Christ will undergo persecution, Paul writing to Timothy, says something very similar in um, 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times you know, will come. Difficulties will arise. There will be persecution. There will be suffering for the Lord's people. The Roman emperors, in particular, were very fierce in persecuting Christians. Nero Nero burnt Rome down. And, um, you know, to avoid the wrath of the people, he blamed Christians for it. And so persecution arose for Christians. But more than that, Nero was a very, very cruel man. Very wicked man. He used to immerse Christians in barrels of pitch. Or sometimes, you know, he would um, you know, wrap them up, you know, in pitch. And then... He will set fire to them as, as torches. You know, when he's riding around, you know, he's in his gardens and so on, you know, enjoying himself. And so 
you know, people became human torches. Can you imagine that? You know, set fire to people alive. And, um, you know, the agony of all that. You know, but that's kind of person that he was. And so Christians, you know, suffered a great deal under Nero. Now, others as well. People like, you know, Diocletian, you know, who, who used to scourge, you know, Christians and then torture them before he put them to death. And um, you have people like, um, you know, Domitian and so on. The man that, you know, um, exiled, you know, um, the Apostle John to the island of Patmos and so on. You know, all the, you know, a lot of the Roman emperors were very wicked and they really made life difficult, you know, for Christians. They suffered much under the Romans. But then, you know, if you want history forward a bit, you know, say to this country, for example, many Christians, you know, suffered and died, you know, at the stake during the reign of Mary, Queen of Scots. Very, very wicked woman. You know, read the, um, you know, the um, book that's been written about the suffering, you know, Fox's Book of Martyrs. And uh, it's a terrible, terrible, you know, um, thing that happened you know, to Christians. Christians have suffered a lot. So persecution of the Lord's people has continued even to this day in many parts of the world. In the Muslim countries, Christians are every day, you know, being slaughtered because they are Christians and nothing more. ISIS are still, you know, carrying out their atrocities all over the place. In China today, China has um, decided to get rid of any emblem, any Christian emblem in public. They pulled down churches, destroyed the cross, they've done everything to erase Christianity you know, from, um, you know, from public life. North Korea has done the same thing. India, under a government, you know, um, a Hindu government, um, are now persecuting Christians like nobody's business. Hindu nationalism is something on the rise in India. And lots and lots of Christians are suffering. Some have you know, actually died. And the government actually turned a very blind eye into all this. Modi, the, the, the um, prime minister of, um, of um, India, you know, he's a Hindu himself. And when these are brought to his notice, oh, you know, that sort of thing shouldn't be happening and so on. But never, he does nothing at all about it. He allows it to go on. And so... You know, what the angel says, you know, is coming true. Even in our day, we've seen Christians, you know, suffering, you know, so much, you know, today. And even, um, you know, Christians that um, in public life that refuses to endorse transgenderism and homosexuality, you know, suffer, you know, because of that. You know, we've seen, you know, you know Christians today are seen in the Western world as um, a hindrance to the forward march of the human race. And because of that, you know, we are persecuted. And persecution will continue into the future. And that is how the Lord actually purifies, you know, his people and get them ready for heaven. We see that in the scriptures, in the book of Acts. Christians were scattered because of persecution. And this, you know, the gospel, you know, spread. Every Christian, one way or the other, will face trials. But persecution, thank God, will not go on forever. It won't go on forever. It will come to an end someday. And the angel said, as well, that many people shall be purified. He says, many shall be purified. And we find this many, actually, in the book of Revelation. You know, turn to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. We find this many that he talked about in Revelation chapter 7. And in verse 9, it says this. It says, after these things, I looked, and behold... A great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Verse 13. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes? 
And where did they come from? Verse 14. And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And so when the angel said that many will be, um, many will be purified, he means multitudes will be purified. Many multitudes will be purified. I thank God for that. But when he says many, he didn't say all. He says many, not all. So there will be wicked people still on the earth. Whilst God's people will be purified, the wicked you know, shall do wickedly. They shall go from one degree of wickedness to another. They will get more and more wicked. Despite all that is done to save them, despite all the judgment that is to come upon them, they will be hardened and confirmed in their wickedness. They will act out their nature and continue to be wicked. On the other hand, <coughs> we told that none of, the, none of the wicked shall understand. None of the wicked shall understand. You know, we read um, in verses 10 and 11. None of the wicked will understand the words of the prophecy. Their depraved heart, you know, will prevent their purpose. <clears throat> well, sorry, their depraved heart will prevent it, will prevent them understanding their purpose to lead a wicked life, will so cloud their judgment and understanding, and will pervert their judgment that they will have no appreciation of God's plans. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, chapter 2, verse 14. Paul says, The natural mind does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him. Does it make sense whatsoever you know, to them? The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this world has blinded their minds. They can't understand and they go on in their wicked ways. That's but all that you know God does. <clears throat> wicked men will continue to be blind, and the evidence you know around them. Unless a man is born again, he will never understand in you know, a true religion. Sin you know prevents a clear understanding of God's truth. Again, you know, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded you know, their minds to keep them you know, from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of God. The natural man does not accept you know, the things of God. It doesn't make sense whatsoever to these people. They just um, cannot see it. It doesn't matter what anyone does. They just would not understand. But not only will there be wicked people, thank God, there will be those who are made wise and they shall understand. These are those who love God and serve him. You know, who therefore are said to be truly wise. We find them in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3. It says, those you know, who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. We meet them as well you know, in chapter 11. The love of God from a pure heart will qualify them to understand the importance of God's truth. They will appreciate what God has revealed and they will understand the signs of the time, God will make them wise. And so we see that twice now the angel has told that about the persecution of the church. First time, the holy people will be scattered. Second time, about the purity and the purification, they will suffer. Thirdly, in verse 11, it says that from that time, that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Now, two things are mentioned there. The daily sacrifice is taken away, abomination of desolation is set up. The problem with that is there are two separate occasions, two separate periods, when the daily sacrifices were, you know, in the temple were taken away and also two separate um, occasions when the abomination of desolation was set up. First, firstly, there was the act of Antiochus Epiphanes, 
in 168 BC. He caused the daily sacrifices to cease in the temple, Jerusalem. You find that in chapter 11, verse 31. Antiochus also desecrated the temple when he set up the image of Jupiter or Zeus in the temple and offered a pig as a sacrifice on the altar and forced some of the priests to eat pork meat. Second time, second period when this happened was the final destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and the altar by the Roman general Titus in AD 70. After a five-month siege, Titus was a very, very wicked man. He hated God with every fiber of his being. He caused the daily sacrifices to stop. Daniel 9.27, you know, points to that. At that time, you know, Titus also offered a pig as a sacrifice on the altar. He seized a prostitute. He entered the Holy of Holies. And he spread, you know, the Sefer Torah, that is a handwritten um, copy of the first five books of Moses. He spread that in a, in, a, in a scroll. He spread that out, and he committed abomination with that woman, you know, in the, you know, in the temple of God. That man was a very, very wicked man. Committed fornication, the prostitute in the temple of God. Now, the difficulty with the number that um, the angel tells us, 1,290, is when do you start your calculations? Seeing that there were two different periods of about 240 years apart, I confess I do not understand it. I said it last time, I don't understand, I still don't understand it. To me, the numbers represent a period of time when these events will take place that we've been talking about. We do not know, though, we do know, though, that it will be a period of intense persecution for the church. The fact that it says days instead of periods shows that there's a definite time when that persecution will come to an end. Again, we thank God for that. But then, the angel further complicates things by introducing another number in verse 12, 1,335 days. It says, blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. Now, this verse, the word wait and arrives, indicates perseverance to the end. Blessings you know, fall upon the faithful who endure suffering and oppression you know, and remain true to the Lord to the end, just like Daniel did. As he says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 13, he that endures to the end shall be saved. Again, I don't claim to understand you know, the implication of 1,335 days. Nothing is said of the time it will occur. There's no indication given as to what, when it will start. Nothing is said of the characteristic of that uh, particular time other than that it will be a blessed time you know, um, you know, for anyone who sees it, implying that it will be, on account of what we know, a very happy time. Daniel was still very puzzled about all this. I don't blame him. These numbers perplexed him. He did not understand it still. The angel was not keen to explain it to him. And so, in verse 13, the angel said to him, but you, go your way till the end. It wasn't a dismissal. No. So actually an encouragement. You know, this statement. The angel was actually saying to Daniel, Daniel, go on with your spiritual life as you are doing. Go on being faithful until you die. And then it says, for you shall rest. This is another way of saying to Daniel that he will die and rest in peace in the grave for a long time before the end. In verse 2 of chapter 12, you know, we read, <clears throat> um, we read that many of those who sleep in the dust 
shall be awakened and they will be resurrected. The same will happen to Daniel. Important events you know, will happen before the end. The affairs of the world you know, were to you know, carry on for ages before the end shall come. There will be scenes of you know, revolution. There will be commotion. There will be tumult. Momentous changes before the end. You know, we're told that there will be earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars and all sorts of things before the end you know, will come. But during that long period, Daniel will rest calmly asleep in the dust of the earth that is in the grave. None of these troubles or events will disturb him. For he will peacefully sleep in the hope of being awakened in the resurrection. And then he told that he will arise to his inheritance, to his lot. He will arise to his inheritance, to his reward at the end of days. This speaks of the resurrection. The angel is assuring Daniel that he had nothing at all to fear from all these troubles personally and that whatever should come, he will have peace. I will occupy the position in future times which was due to him. That's a tremendous encouragement you know, to Daniel because as I said, he'd been very, very you know, worried about um, you know, events and situation and so on. And, um, <clears throat> and so he was um, you know, assured here that you know, God would um, make sure that um, he rests in peace. And with this pledge of the resurrection, his mind was put at rest. And he was told not to allow himself to be distressed you know, because he could not see into the future and, you know, of all that will happen. His lot will be happy and peaceful. His salvation will be secured. No one who lives a godly life, putting God first, misses his reward in heaven. It won't happen. And so, that's what the angel um, revealed to David. That persecution awaits the church of God. But that persecution will not go on. Forever. Now, for our um, instruction and edification, I want to make two observations. First of all, there are certain things that God does not want us to know. We are, you know, very curious beings. We want to know everything, but there are certain things that God does not want us to know. Deuteronomy chapter twenty-nine and verse twenty-nine says. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do the words of the law. In other words, that which God has revealed to us, that's what we should be concerned with, not what you know, God has not revealed. Our concern you know, is to obey you know, what God has made known to us. Now, there are two things that God does not want us to know about. First of all, God does not want us to know when Jesus Christ will return. Matthew 24 and verse 36. But concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. It says, not even the Lord Jesus Christ knows. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ is God, and he knows everything. But in this matter, he has committed the time of his return to his Father. This is called you know, voluntary subordination you know, to his Father. Matthew 24 and verse 44. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. We don't know. When he's coming back, we don't know when the end will be. Just like Daniel, we don't know when the end will be. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 2. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And these texts are very clear. No one knows when the Lord will return. However, that has not stopped some people 
getting out their pens and paper and calculator, and from the book of Daniel and from the book of Revelation, you know, calculate when the Lord Jesus Christ will come back. And many have done that. Many have done that, and they've calculated wrongly. All their predictions, you know, failed. The JWs, they started by saying Christ was coming back in 1918. Nothing happened. They had a series of, you know, um, predictions. None of them ever came um, true. There was a church, you know, a number of years ago. There's a church in, North, in, um, in South Korea. Their pastor got up and said that, you know, he's worked it out. The day that the Lord Jesus Christ was coming. And poor congregation, they all sold their properties and everything else. And they went and they sat down on the mountain waiting for the Lord to come. He didn't come. I just imagine what disillusionment you know, met with those people. There are certain things that God does not want us to know. We must not concern ourselves with that which is hidden in God's mind. The other thing that you know, God does not want us to know is when the world will end. God does not want us to know when the world will end. The Bible tells us about the events leading to the end of the world. The, world, the Bible tells us how you know, the world will end. It's there in scriptures, you know, how the world will end. For example, it tells us in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14, you know, and the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. We told in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And so the Bible tells us you know, how the world will end. God is going to burn this in a world with fire. This world is doomed. It's going to be destroyed someday. But the, we never told when it will end. We told how it will end, but we're not told when it will end. God does not want us to know when it will end. Rather, it says, we should be concerned about those things that belong to us. What are they? Well, we're told to be ready. That's the things that belong to us. We're told to be ready whenever the end is. That should be our concern. Matthew 24 and verse 24 says this, Therefore, you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. And it uses an imperative there. It didn't, it's not a suggestion. It says, therefore, you must be ready. Got no choice in the matter. You must be ready for that time. You know, the Lord says, are you ready for when the Lord comes back? Are you ready? That's a big question for you and I. This is our greatest need to be ready for when either the Lord comes back or the world ends. For when our Lord comes back, it will be too late to get ready. The word of God tells us that we all by nature sinners. That our sin separates us from God. It tells us that the wages of sin is death, eternal separation, you know, from God in hell. The Bible also tells us that because God is holy, sin must be paid for. We cannot pay for our sin. Impossible. Which means we are doomed. God in his mercy sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to pay for our sins. And when he came, he suffered so much. He went through hell 
you know, to save us. What a condescension to leave the glories of heaven where there's, you know, um, where, where, where there's, you know, brilliance and magnificence and holiness and so, and to come into this wretched world and to be subjected, you know, to such intense suffering, you know, by his people. You know, that's very, very, um, that's very, very bad. But that's what happened to him. And that's what, you know, had to happen you know, for our sins to be forgiven. That's how our Lord Jesus Christ paid for our sins. And we told that now, and this is what belongs to us, we told that now, you know, we must repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone to save us. This is how we get ready for that day, to make sure, you know, that, you know, we have repented of our sins and we have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what belongs, you know, to us. Now, listen to me. If the Lord returned and you are not ready, or if you died without repenting and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity away from heaven in hell. And I do not enjoy saying that. I say it with a very heavy heart. But it's a reality. It's a reality, my friends. This is the message that we have been preaching for a long time. We have been pleading you know, for you to repent of your sins and to put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. For when the Lord returns, there will be no more opportunity to repent. This is your time to repent and to give your life to Christ. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. We have the opportunity today. The Lord may be found today. The Lord is near today. Today is the day of salvation. This is the acceptable time to God. Call upon him while you still have the time. One day, it will be too late. May it not be too late, you know, for you. Now, what about those of us who are Christians? What belongs to us? Those of us who have repented and trusted in the Lord, are we to live whichever way we like just because we have trusted Christ? What should be our position regarding the Lord's return or the end of the world? What should it be? The Bible tells us. The Bible has revealed it to us. These are the things that belong to us. And what has the Bible revealed? Well, you know, turn with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 13. Mark's Gospel, chapter 13. We can't live just as we like. Mark, chapter 13. And verse 32. <clears throat> and Mark says, But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Verse 33. Take heed and watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It's like a man going on a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to keep watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowning of the rooster, or in the morning, lest, coming suddenly, he finds you sleeping. Three times we are commanded there to watch, to be awake, not to slumber, and we are to pray. We are to be alert. You know, we're told. Again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Please turn with me. 1 Thessalonians and chapter 5. <clears throat> and verse 4. says, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, 
so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of night or darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. Let us watch and be sober. We are to be on the lookout. We are to be sober. It tells us, let us, you know, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, hope of salvation, it tells us. We are, you know, to be watchful, to be on the lookout. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 11. 2 Peter 3 and verse 11. <coughs> It says there, having, having told us in verse 10, that uh, the earth, the heavens will pass away with, you know, with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. In verse 11 it says, therefore, in other words, as a result of that, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be? And it tells us there that we are to be holy in our conduct, and we are to be godly. We are to be godly. So he tells us we are to continue to be faithful to the Lord, just like Daniel. Don't rest on your laurels. You know, it's saying, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he falls. You know, and Paul tells the Corinthians, it is those who endure to the end that shall be saved. There are many that started well. He ended very badly. You know the story of Solomon. It started ever so well. Ended very badly. King Asa was like that. Started very well. Ended very badly. Judas was the same. Started very well. Ended badly. Let's not be like them. Let us be alert. Let us you know, be awake. Let us continue in our godliness and holiness and so on. And I'll finish with this. The angel told Daniel that he will go and he will rest in peace and will awaken in the resurrection. His future is secure no matter what happens. And the same goes for every Christian who remains faithful. His future is secure. No matter what happens in the world, Christians are safe in Christ long as they remain faithful to God. And nothing can change that. The world today is in chaos. There's upheaval everywhere. People are beginning to panic. And the world in Israel, you know, even compounds that. I remember talking to someone not long ago. And he believes that uh, the war in Israel is going to bring the world to an end. I'm not too sure about that. Could be, maybe, we don't know. But he was sure. We know one thing, though, that um, Israel will feature you know, um, prominently in events leading to the end. But Christians should not panic. As Christians, we should not panic. And I just want to look at um, you know, three texts, and with that, I'll finish, I promise. The first one is Psalm 46. Psalm 46. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar, and troubled, though the mountains shake with its um, you know, swelling and so on, we are not to fear, the Bible tells us. We are not to fear. When all these things happen, Christians you know, should be immovable, steadfast. You know, we've, just been, we've just sung you know, that hymn, it is well, it is well with my soul. doesn't matter what happens, you know, my soul is at rest. As long as we remain faithful to God, my soul 
remains at rest. Nothing can separate Christians from the love of God, the Bible tells us. There's nothing to fear at all. Isaiah 26. Isaiah and 26, chapter 26. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. Again, tremendous assurance you know, um, given in God's word. It says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. And that, to me, is very encouraging. God will keep him in perfect peace. Who? Whose mind is stayed, is staying in, on Christ, remaining faithful all the way to Christ. God will keep that person in perfect peace. And the last one is Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. Matthew 24 and verse 6. And he says this, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations will rise against nations, which we see in today, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, which you see in today, pestilences and earthquakes in various places, which we are witnessing today. All these things are the beginning of sorrow, it says. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, persecution, and even kill you. And you'll be hated by all nations for my sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and hate one another. Then many false prophets will arise and deceive many. And because of lawlessness, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. I think of anything more positive in it than that. And so I say to you, if you are a true born-again Christian, like Daniel, you will die and you will rest in peace. And in the grave you will stay. But one day you will rise again to your reward. You will rise again to your reward. And this will be my last text. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. So we're looking at you know, what this reward is. What this inheritance you know, is. 1 Peter and chapter 1. <clears throat> and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation to be revealed at the last Time. In this you greatly rejoice, though for a little while, if need be, you may be grieved by various trials. I said it earlier on, that every Christian will go through trial. The church will go through persecution. That's exactly what Peter is saying here. Why? Verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, again, persecution, may be found to the praise and honor and glory and the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there we are. Christians one day die, rest in the grave, and on the day of resurrection, they all rise again, and they will come to their lot, to their reward, to the inheritance that God has reserved for them. We don't know details about that inheritance, but I think it will be most wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. 
And so ends, you know, Daniel. And I trust that, um, you know, you've got something out of it. But may God make us to be ready. This is my great concern for each and every one of us to make sure that we are ready, that we've repented of our sins and we are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And for those of us who are Christians, to persevere in our faith. Difficulties will come. Nevertheless, we must persevere in our faith. The Lord will give us grace, you know, go through whatever, you know, um, is thrown at us. May God, you know, bless these words, you know, to us. Amen.